0: I'm Kate Northrup.
1: And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business.
0: Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living.
1: Welcome back to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. And this is Mike. You see, I tried to deepen my voice there to get a radio voice. Hello. Oh, I don't know. Um, Why not? Today we
0: interviewed Gina Gomez. And Gina Gomez has been referred to as the Olivia Pope of the personal development industry. And for those of you who, like me, have never seen Scandal, Olivia Pope is a fixer. So <laughs> Gina Gomez is a business consultant, strategist, and fixer working with some of the most well-known and well-respected public figures in the online business world. So basically when we screw up, which we inevitably will, because if you're in the arena, as Brene Brown says, you're going to screw it up. So she helps people out with that (laughs) and she helps people repair. So after building a successful career in corporate America as a vice president of sales in the healthcare industry, she used her results oriented business philosophy, critical thinking, and knack for developing relationships to help others increase their profit by creating a business where everyone is and feels welcomed and included. She's a member of the Forbes Coaches Council and today we talked about inclusivity and equity and how to have difficult conversations and critical thinking and it was an amazing conversation. What did you love about it Mike?
1: I liked because I just finished watching all 7 seasons of Scandal talking to like the real life Olivia Pope and having a clarity on really how to go about dealing with things that affect you emotionally. And she really gave a good outline to follow when things are triggering, especially in the news to these days, like every single day, every hour, there's something that's going on that is helping and triggering us emotionally. And when do it respond, when to chill and really reflect and, and how to let things process and to know when's the time right for you to shine your light. And I just liked hearing how to like really look at your business for those of you that actually have a business to look at your business that is established to make sure it's you're not just talking to one person, right? You're the information that you're putting in the world is not offending other people and how to go about evaluating your own business model. What about you?
0: I really loved her take on how to navigate social media and also just sort of the intense conversation that's going on right now and the divisiveness going on and how to use the facts instead of our emotions to further the conversation instead of add fire to the fire, as well as just, she's just really wise. And I asked her some, you know, silly questions, what felt silly in the moment. But I think if I have these questions, other people do as well. So... You'll hear about some of my biggest fears about screwing up online, and I bet they're yours too. So enjoy the episode. Hello, Gina. Welcome.
2: Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being
0: here. You know, we've been hearing amazing things about you for years, um, but more recently from Licia Morelli. She just says amazing things about you all the time. So well she's an, person, so. she's an amazing person. So amazing person. We're super yeah. blessed to work with her. Yeah. I'm curious, Gina, I was just thinking about our interview earlier and I was just wanting to know like can you tell us about just like going way back, like where you grew up and kind of where you just kind of where you come from? Because I realize we don't often ask our guests about the earlier days. And I just I'm just curious.
2: Sure. So I am one of the few native Californians left. (laughs) Born and raised. I've traveled all over, but Southern California is still home. My parents were people who were very hard workers in a traditional nuclear family. At one point, my dad was working three jobs and going to night school so that my mom could be a stay-at-home mom. So that's where I got my work ethic from. And a lot of, it's funny, when I look back now, I, I realize my dad was my first business coach he was the one that really taught me. He taught me about integrity, he taught me about critical thinking. There's a story I love to share with people because it's one of my favorite memories with my dad was when I was a little girl, I was about six, seven years old, and I was fascinated with my dad and being, he was a court administrator, so he was always in these big fancy courtrooms. And I would beg my mom after school, where most kids would go home and they'd watch cartoons and play with their friends, I would beg to go be at work with my dad. So, of course, my dad had to work, so he would put me in the courtrooms, or somebody would put me in the courtrooms, so I could listen to all the cases, and at the end of the day, they'd bring me back into his office, I'd sit across a big fancy desk from him, and he'd take out a piece of paper, and he'd go, all right, first case, and he'd say the name of the case, and he'd say, tell me what it was about, and I'd tell him, you know, I'm a little girl, I'd tell him what it was about, and then he'd say, okay, and what was the verdict, and I would tell him, and he'd say, did you agree with the judge or not, and he'd make me argue the case. So because of it, it made me learn how to be very quick on my feet, but also how to ask questions to get to the heart of the matter. What I didn't realize was how I was using it throughout my life and how it became a big part of what I do now. Wow. Yes. So
0: So you mentioned critical thinking and how your dad taught you, you know, how to do that. So can you define what critical thinking is and, and really just tell us how that applies to our companies
2: and our lives really. I think in the simplest terms, it's looking at both sides of the coin. You know, it's very easy and especially in mainstream media for us to look at one perspective and to trust that perspective. And then we go based on what other people say because we respect or admire them, but we don't necessarily do the homework to see if what's being said is accurate, if it's true, or if it's even real. So a lot of times what what I will do is, and I'll just use news as an example, is I, you know, I like certain channels. I like what they're saying because they're in agreement with my belief system and what I believe and what I stand for. However, <laughs> and sometimes it's torture for me. I will watch the other side of what's being said. And it's really hard for me to sit through. However, I find it really helpful to have that information. So when I'm having conversations with people who do believe, have different beliefs, I can have a conversation by taking out the emotion and that's a big part of critical thinking. If we react with emotion, then we're fighting emotion to emotion. But if we get into the facts and we can pull out the emotion, then we can have a meaningful conversation. But it's hard to do and it's a practice.
0: Yeah, so you know, I see a lot, there's a lot of conversation about what's going on right now at the border and even when we play this a couple of weeks from now i know it'll still be going on so this will still be relevant what's going on at the border and what's going on in our political system and there's a lot of conversation around it on social media certainly about racism and equity and inclusion and i'm just curious like do you i would i would love to know are there any sources or people who you follow who you feel like are doing a really good job with critical thinking as opposed to sort of just like blowing more fire into the fire?
2: Well, here's, okay, so here's, (laughs) here's, here's the letdown. Yeah. The letdown is I don't follow one or two people because of that. Right. Because I think that is the danger when we, Mm -hmm. when we find a couple of people and we say, these are the people that that I think are doing the right thing, we're still human beings and everybody, even I make mistakes, right? Like my emotions, and this is why I have not posted anything about what's going on at the border is because, and I have a very strong opinion about what's happening, but I won't post anything because I'm way too emotional about it. And I have to get over that before I can talk about it because otherwise that can hurt my credibility. Even though what I'm saying is true to what I feel, if I have a responsibility or I want people to look at things differently, if I show up with anger and fire, it's going to be met with anger and fire, and that takes away from the conversation. So I don't follow one or two people. I really am always looking at how much information can I get from as many diverse points of view as possible. The more information I have, the better informed I am to make my own decisions and to feel confident and stand in that. Okay,
0: this is great. So I saw a woman who I follow who has a very large platform post that she had made the same choice as you To She was feeling incredibly triggered and emotional about the news headlines, what was going on at the border with the separation of families. And she wrote a post because she was having people ask her why she wasn't posting about it. And so she wrote that she did not feel that her posting her big feelings about it was going to be useful. And then there was a whole thread that then happened about, well, that's your privilege to do that, and that's not okay, and blah, 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 blah. blah. And which I totally, I see that perspective as well. So I'm curious as as a woman who's chosen not to be posting about the current situation given the deep emotions about it, Mm Where does privilege come into that? And, and what do you think about people then commenting and saying, well, that's not okay, because it's a privilege to not speak up about it, even though I'm sure she was talking about it in real life to real people, sure, just not on her Instagram, <laughs>
2: you know? <laughs> right. And, here, and here's what the really interesting thing is, that sometimes people, and that's to me, that's an, an emotional response. Now, I don't know who these people are. I didn't read any of the posts, so let's take that into consideration. However... I don't have white, I'm not privileged. I don't have white privilege. I have other privileges, but white privilege isn't one of them. So does that make me privileged because I choose a different way? And here's my feeling. I'm not the best person to speak out on politics. I'm clear about (laughs) that. (laughs) Because I'm way too emotional and too opinionated. So that is not something that I want to tie into my business. And I think that's what a lot of people need to take into consideration is being out in the forefront is great and it gives us lots of opportunities to further causes that are meaningful to us, to represent people who are underrepresented. There's lots of benefits of being in the public eye, but we also wanna have, you know, take seriously the responsibility of being in the public eye. And I think that person to take a step and say, rather than say something out of emotion, I'm gonna take a step back and really think about it before I say something, in my opinion, is way smarter than meeting the market's demand To say something because sometimes people and I'm not saying this is true of these people, but I'm thinking of another situation. Sometimes people are looking for a fight. So they're looking for a reaction so that they can react. Because people are in pain. And people are looking to release their pain, no matter what that looks like. And we see a lot of it on social media.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Very insightful answer. And I, you know, super, just to be super transparent, I have been posting a lot more about current events than I ever have before paying attention, to be quite honest, since our new administration, a lot more than I ever did before, which I totally get is a result of my privilege. Cause I just was like, oh, well, I, you know, they'll just take care of it in Washington. I'm like, oh, whoops, maybe not. Um, so um, so but that's what they want, right? I, uh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's better for them if you're not paying attention. So anyway, I have been posting and I, and I don't consider myself the most well-informed. And so I get really scared because recently I have seen on my feed people tagging me to say, hey, you know, Kate Northrop is a great one to follow for important updates. And I'm like... <gasps> So now I feel like, you know, I should probably be having this conversation with you in private, but here we are having (laughs) it.
2: Everybody listening to the podcast mute. (laughs) (laughs) Now I feel like, oh no, now people are watching.
0: Now I'm, oh dear, you know, like, have I gotten myself in over my head? So, I mean, I guess it's every business owner's choice what they're going to do. And you've chosen to um, not talk about you know, the political climate, because you're maybe not the best source. I don't feel like I'm the best source either, but now I started, so I don't know what to do now.
2: <laughs> Here's what I would say, and, and I, think that, I think you raise a really, really good point, is sometimes we're thrown into these things. You know, the work that I do, I am so conscientious of everything I say, but I still... At the end of a training, at the end of a meeting, the end of a conversation, I go back and I go, okay, did I say that right? Should I have said this? Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Is that on the fringe? Is that this? Is that So it is hard being in the public eye when people have all these eyes on you and then there's an expectation. But here's how I also look at it. I would rather me, you, anybody else take 10 private actions that work towards some kind of solution than to put one single post that says, I'm all for it and I'm standing up for everybody. It's your actions that matter. Words matter too, but your actions have to match your words. So my suggestion to you or anybody else who's in the same situation would be to think about how do you want to show up and how do you want to play a part in this and do what feels right for you so that you continue with integrity and that you're consistent and people will respond in kind. If people pressure you to be out there speaking out on things, you still get a say in this. (sighs)
0: Yeah, because there is right now what's happening is there has been. Now, I just want to preface this by saying that I follow Lovey Ajayi on on Instagram, and she posted the most hysterical thing yesterday, which is that she went to her therapist talking about like how terrible things are in the world and how it's, you know, she can't sleep and da da da. And her therapist said, I I need you to be on the internet less. (laughs) It's really like, (laughs) I just wanted to say that I get that part of it is like, I'm on maternity leave and I'm probably on my phone too much. So I'm just prefacing by that. But the second question, the actual, and Mike completely, he's shaking his head agree. <laughs> yes, very much so. So the question is though, given the fact that I, I know that, there's been some calling out of people, you know, of the quote unquote love and light crowd that let's say, hey, house authors, let's say spiritual teachers, people in the personal growth industry, not taking a stand on issues of equity, and inclusion. And I guess, I mean, I guess you just answered it. It's like that person's prerogative. You still get to choose what you put on your account, whether, yeah. yeah, Like, can you speak to that? that relevant, And I don't
2: know. I love that you brought this up because the word light has become a big, big discussion in this industry. And I've seen posts, I've seen articles, I've seen, you know, social media things where people are talking about the use of it. The word light is not a bad word. However, some people have shown up in the way where they've made it sound like it's a bad word. When you're using the word light, if you're using it from a spiritual point of view, for the most part, people are looking about light as in the soul or feeling lighter or something related to spirit or God or whatever you you choose to call it. But when you have the word light or you say lighter is better, let's just use that, lighter is better, and then you have three images and the first person is a woman of color and the next two images are white people. That's when it put, gets you into trouble. So we also have to take into consideration when people raise a complaint, it's our job to look and see, is the complaint real? Mm-hmm. Are they accurate? Do they have a point? And I think that's what's really hard for a lot of leaders that I've been working with is They know that they want everyone to feel included, but it's also, you know, when you've worked really hard to build a business and you suddenly feel attacked, the ego comes into play. And that's the hardest thing is separating the ego. So what I often tell people is we're not looking to take away your voice. We're not looking to rebrand everything and change everything to meet the market's needs, but we're looking at where they may have valid concerns and points. And sometimes people don't recognize that using something like lighter is better and those images, the impact that it has, because that's not how they're trained to think. And that's not how that just isn't part of their process. But when they work with someone like me or somebody else who does the same kind of work, there's an education that comes in and that's like, oh, now I understand. Because I, I have talked to people where the ego does come into play and we have to be able to work through that. Ego is great because it helps us in a lot of ways. It tells us things like, yes, you're crazy enough to build an empire, (laughs) but it's also great in the way that it tells you, no, you're not Superman to jump off a 10 story building, right? So there are good things and negative things about the ego, but I also understand how it can play a part in what people are creating and the question around using things like love and light and how it affects Mm -hmm. the community. But here's the other thing I'll say, and then, and then I'll stop is it's also our job as fans, followers, readers, to also see if what is being said in the marketplace is accurate. And I, will, I won't go into specifics, but there was one, it was an article that I read that was attacking certain people in the online business world, and people went crazy over it, crazy over it. One of the paragraphs, there was a sentence that said, it flat out said, now, none of this is based on facts or I don't know. I don't know that any of this is true. And after that, I was like, well, then there's nothing left for me to read here. But that's part of our responsibility because as consumers, we should notice that. Yeah. That it's an opinion piece and nothing wrong with an opinion piece, but it totally changes the meaning.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. For somebody to write straight up this, none of this is based on fact. I don't actually know if it's true.
2: Whoa. And good for that person for owning that and stating that. But also, see how many people there were... This was, you know, a lot of people did not check that out. So we have a responsibility as consumers, too. It's not just... It shouldn't just be on the leaders. It should be on all of us.
0: I love that. Thank you. You're
2: welcome.
0: I I look at this,
1: kind of what we're talking about today, as like an investigative reporter to a certain degree. Like, based off of... I was listening to... I'm reading this book called Dark Money. I can't remember the woman's name who wrote it.
0: It'll be in the show
1: notes. Yeah, but she has investigated like the Koch brothers and where their money has funded in the political arena. And she did another one during the George W. Bush torture era and like what really went on there. And so it wasn't where all of a sudden she found one fact and all and then just put it out online. It was like, here's the fact it's like, no, she did the years of research of this stuff. Yeah. And then was like, okay, now I have enough information to everything that I found is, is legitimate that I can compile this into a book. I don't know. I just like that's what popped in my head when you were talking about is not sharing right off the bat of like the emotion that could overtake us in the moment where it's like, okay, I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger when he tweeted back to Donald Trump. This was like when he was running and said so it was about the celebrity apprentice ratings. Mm -hmm. and arnold was like yeah i read the tweet and then i went and chilled by the fireplace i smoked a cigar nine hours later it came to me what i should say and then i tweeted it and it was i had to forget the whole thing but i remember it was like really good right and he was just like yeah he's like because if i react right in that moment it's anger or it was an anger piece and that creates the fight that's what creates and then we're not solving the problem Right, recognize what's happening.
2: And I think that, I, I love that you brought this up because I think that's also an opportunity for us to take a beat and say, okay, so what's my intention? Is my intention to have a meaningful conversation or to be heard or to state something that matters to me? Or is my, meaning, is my intention to release some anger and some emotion? There's nothing wrong with having emotions. It's how we use them to make a point that makes a difference, right? Like what do we want our impact to be? If my impact is to make somebody feel bad by telling them they're a jerk and a go F off, that's probably gonna make me feel good for about 30 seconds and then make me feel horrible for the next 30 days, Mm. right? But if I stop and take a beat and then say, look, this is where I feel let down. I was angry, but this is what I want you to understand. And this is why. That's very different.
1: I wanna back up to kind of what Kate started this off. If somebody like ran into you on the street and was like, Gina, what do you do? Like, what's your response?
2: I would say that I'm a business strategist and consultant. And I, this makes me laugh every time I say it, but it's true because I hear it frequently. A lot of times I'm called the Olivia Pope of the online business world because that's usually when I get the phone call. It's, you know, it's not like, hey, so I was thinking about this thing and wanted to see what you think. It's usually a call at five in the morning, (laughs) you know, 10 o'clock at night. That's like something's going down can you help us out? And then I, you know, and then I do.
1: What's the that's amazing. number one rule in a crisis?
2: Oh, number one rule in a crisis is to get all the facts before you react. You gotta get, you have to find out everything that's going on. And what will happen is, when you talk to the first person that tells you something that's going on, they're going to tell you their experience, right? They're gonna share their experience, but their experience may not be an objective experience because it's their experience. So it's really important to collect all the information, but to also diffuse the situation. Once you know what's going on is you have to take care of the immediate fires. It's just like containing a wildfire. You've got to contain it before you can get it, you know, you have to get it under control before you can start to do something about it. Cool.
1: Olivia Pope would say to recognize that there is a, that you're actually in a crisis.
2: Yes, that is true. That is awful. <laughs> Usually I by the time they Jean call me. They a call, they're aware. aware. I know. Yeah.
1: No, oh no, because I just finished watching all seven seasons of scandal during this, like our second kid being born. So I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm well, it's, up.
2: it's so funny because sometimes people, in fact, Alicia called me one morning and she said, how's it going over there, Olivia Pope. And I said, Oh my God, I haven't slept. I have no makeup on. I haven't taken a shower. I said, Right now, I look like Olivia. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! How
1: did you get started? Like, how did
0: that's you? That's the question I was. Oh, ask
1: look too. at that! So it's like, how did you recognize? Like, oh, this is what I. This is what I'm good at. Like, what happened in your life that led down this path? Besides just sitting in a courtroom with your dad and. Oh, that's kind a of- great
2: question. I used to get hired. I, I worked in corporate America for many, many years and started out in an entry level position which was the best education for me. I mean, I went to school and all those other things, but this was the best education because I started from the ground up, which meant that I had to learn every aspect of the business to figure out what I wanted to do. Because when you're starting out, you know, as a clerk typist, you don't know if you want to be in marketing, you don't know if you want to be in operations, what you want to do. So I had an opportunity. I always had, this is how my career has always been, where people come up to me and say, you know what, you you should think about doing da-da-da. You'd be really good at it. We have a position for you. Are you interested? And so I would do it because I thought, well, I'll learn about myself. I'll learn about what I like and what I don't like. And so what ended up happening was I got moved into sales where I started to learn about relationship selling. I worked with a lot of public sector and private sector unions, which was an extraordinary education. I'm still very close to a number of those clients that I worked with for many years. And what I started to learn More and more was when they would bring me into departments or they'd bring me in to take over certain clients. It usually wasn't because things were going well. It was usually, we've got a mess. Can you help us out? Da, 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 da. And so that's what I would have to do is I would have to go in and turn the department around, also try to make it more profitable. And then the next one would come up. And sometimes I would stay for a while and sometimes I would have to get transferred into a new position or I would apply to get into a new position because I do love getting my hands dirty and seeing where we can make things better and how we can make things better for people. Like when you treat people like they matter, it's amazing how it changes an experience. Like it's such a simple thing, but it's such an important thing. So that was a big part of it. Like was I would get hired in to come into these really tricky situations and I had to learn how to diffuse them, how to turn them around and how not to lose clients in the meantime, which was really hard because usually when I would get hired in, Clients had already announced that they were terminating. And my job was to go and sit down and say, I know you don't know me, but I'm going to ask you to give me 30 days to try to turn this around with you. And that's what I would do. Hmm. And so what ended up happening here was kind of the same kind of thing. I was watching what was going on in the industry. And then one day I got a phone call saying, do you think this is something you could help with? And I said, oh, I know exactly what to do.
0: So you were watching public figures sort of in the online space have crises?
2: Yes and no. Yeah, it's not like I'm sitting there and I'm watching and I'm like, well, look at what's happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not like reality television, but get, like,
0: can you talk to me this a little bit right about, when you say I was watching what was happening in the industry, like what you mean by that? Which industry and what was happening?
2: So in the online, I tend to watch what's happening in the industry all the time because it's so interesting, but it's also part of my job, is to know what competitors are doing, prospects, the market. So I'm always paying attention. I'm also fascinated with human behavior. I have been since I was a little girl. So when I'm watching, I'm watching from that perspective to see what's going on. What would I be doing if I was in that situation? What would I be doing if I was working with that client and helping? Because it's also part of a practice for me, right? It's, because it's like using, it's like developing a muscle. You have to keep, keep it strong. So that's what was happening was I was watching and I was thinking through some of the things. Now, when I got brought into it, it was still pretty quiet. And then it got, it started getting bigger and bigger.
0: Okay. And just to define, make sure when you say the industry, you, you mean sort of like the personal development space online and the business space online? Is that? Okay. Yeah. So back to critical thinking, because you were just talking really about critical thinking just now. What are, so there's looking at both sides are there some steps to critical thinking that people can take specifically?
2: Yeah, so let's, use, let's just use the news media as an example because it's an easy example. example. Yeah. So if you are somebody who watches, let's say NBC News, which tends to be a liberal channel, and that's your political beliefs, that's your belief system, and they talk about the topics that are meaningful and important to you, that's great but also keep in mind that you're, you're hearing one side of the story. It doesn't mean that it's the right side, it doesn't mean the wrong side, it just means it's one side. So that means if you're gonna spend an hour watching NBC News, it would probably be wise to spend an hour watching Fox News or another conservative channel. And that for a lot of people, just like if somebody watches Fox News, they're not gonna to want to watch NBC. So I wanna be clear that it's on both sides. But what will happen is when you can look at both sides, like both ends of the spectrum, that's when you can look and see where are things similar, where are things different, but also, and this is the critical, critical piece, and I can't stress this enough, you've got to get to the facts, because if you're only paying attention to the emotion, then you're only going to respond with emotion, because one of the things that I do whenever I'm talking about like how to have hard conversations, that's one of the first things I say is you got to get, one, you've got to get clear on your intention. And the second thing is you gotta list out what happened. So same thing with news. You wanna list out everything that, whether you write it down or you're going through it in your head. But if you're learning critical thinking, it's helpful to write it down so you can see. Once you write down everything, then I take a pen and I'll take out anything that's an emotion. Like Mm. this person's an idiot. I don't agree. (laughs) (laughs) What are they thinking? Whatever that is, because it's my piece of paper, so I'm gonna write all my crazy on my paper. But then when I go through and I look at the facts, Sometimes it can change my opinion because it's hard for me to argue with facts, right? But it's not hard for me to argue and say, well, this person's an idiot because they don't agree with me. But it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means I'm reacting with my emotion. So, what it does is it better informs us and better educates us so that we can make decisions. Like, if you want to believe everything that one news outlet is telling you, if you can back it up with fact, you're going to feel a lot stronger when you're having those conversations with people because you're prepared. And you also won't tend to be as emotional or lose your cool, which means you can have a more meaningful conversation. That's extremely powerful.
0: And I also would imagine, because I'm well-practiced in critical thinking in academia, but I'm not well-practiced in critical thinking when it comes to the media. So -hmm. this is a really helpful conversation for me. And I would imagine if you are practicing critical thinking, you would probably feel less like you are drowning in how awful it is. Is that true?
2: Yes. I think so, for sure. Because I will tell you, there are days when, and listen, I love what I do. I love what I do. But there are days at the end where I'm like, I cannot listen to one more emotional thing because I am tapped. It's not because I'm not interested. It's not because I don't care. But it's a lot to carry. A lot, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of emotion. So if I can take a beat and take a step back, and let go of that, or if I can just stay focused on the facts, which I have to do a lot with work, like I want to be empathetic, which is, you know, which is still important, but I also want to be focused on the facts, and I also want to make sure that if someone is sharing something with me from a place of emotion, that I don't say, just give me the facts, because people need to be heard, right, that's part of how they're releasing and sharing some of this stuff, but that's also part of the danger, so sometimes I'll say to a client, okay, so tell me what's going on, you can vent, you can tell me whatever, but you're not going to get emotional out in the public anymore. And here's why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when people have a better understanding that it's like, oh, I didn't realize that. People are not trying to make things, people I work with anyway, are not trying to make things difficult or trying to make this a combative conversation. People really genuinely want to do the right thing. And I've worked closely enough to tell, you know, I would be honest because that's just how I am. I wouldn't name names, but I would say, yeah, there's a problem in the industry if I saw that there was a legitimate Mm -hmm. problem. There are things that can be done better, but I think that people are really making an active effort to look at how how we can all do better. And I think that's the start of the conversation.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's the willingness, right? Mm -hmm. To even say there is a problem here and and I can do better and I wanna do better. How do you, with with this level of pressure and urgency in what you do, how do you take care of yourself? (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's an excellent question and very rude of you to ask <laughs>
0: <laughs> well knowing that all of us could all do better taking care of ourselves I guess I would just say like what are a few of the things not assuming I, I can't assume that any of us are really taking optimal care of ourselves I'm not
2: but you know we, we I, do <laughs> it's so funny that you ask this because recently I had somebody who was kind enough to offer to give me a reading and I wasn't asking things like Am I going to be a millionaire? Am I going to have a house on the beach? I was like, am I going to get a vacation anytime soon? Like that was my that was my big question. Right now, my workload is so busy. And this is why it's good, but that I love what I do. That it is, it I am finding a hard time catching those breaks. So when I do get the breaks, I pretty much just veg out. Like I will put myself in front of... I always joke and say I have my PhD from the University of YouTube because I watch so many YouTube videos, but that's usually how I numb out at the end of the day. We can talk. like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, see, now I'm going to start sending you some good videos. We should trade videos. Are you like a funny cat video person? Or like? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm obsessed with late night talk shows. Obsessed. Oh. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that's funny or comedic. I love smart, smart people. And what I find is people who are funny are exceptionally smart. Absolutely. true.
0: Did you watch the Hannah Gadsby special, the Nanette special on Netflix?
2: No, but I just put it in my queue. I was going to watch it over the weekend and have time.
0: Yeah. Talk about a smart woman. You're going to be blown away. Oh, good. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So you veg out and, and watch YouTube videos.
2: Yeah. YouTube videos, sometimes Netflix, what, you know, it's usually for me, it's usually TV. I'm a very visual person. Or the other thing I'll do is usually this is my ritual. At the end of the day, I turn off everything electronic and I will sit and stare at a wall for a little while and just listen to music. Hmm. Oh. And then I'll go into, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to see people again. And then I go into YouTube. What
0: yeah. do you like to listen to? What kind of music?
2: Oh, well, I grew up around music. So sometimes it's classic soul. Sometimes I joke all the time because this is so true. If you come to my house at six in the morning, because I'm an early riser and I love to write early in the morning, you will hear classic rap because that's what I like to write to. Oh, nice. Really? Um, yeah. If I need to be focused, I'll listen to Yo-Yo Ma. So it's like it's all over the place. Cool.
1: Yeah. What kind of, what's your favorite rapper?
2: Oh my gosh. I do. I like the classic. I still love Tupac, Tupac, yeah. Ice Cube, Snoop. So, yeah. But I also like a lot of the newer ones too. This is when I feel like an old person because I'm like, I still listen to songs from the 1800s.
1: <laughs> I mean, but you just named three artists that are never, they'll never go away. No. Right. It's the sure. like you or die. We're sure. going to see the roots tonight. So we're pretty. Excited.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm so jealous. Yeah. I'm pretty psyched about oh, that. Wait, when you said we, you meant we collectively, the three.
0: If you want to come, come in, I wonder, you could, yeah, you could get from California to Maine by tonight. You got on oh a way way
2: now, Or you could just well,
1: wait till they come to your city. Where do you well, live? that would be a little more convenient. Where do you live?
0: I'm outside of LA, just outside LA. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, where yeah. everything happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to ask, what do you see as... Okay. So I definitely want to talk about difficult conversations, but I want to ask one more question about sort of this topic we were on before. What do you see as some of the biggest mistakes that people are making in the online space that are causing harm that they don't mean to be causing?
2: Two things. One is, uh, you know, going back to what I said earlier about ego is when people are saying, and Here, here's what I want to say. This is when it goes back to intention of like, what is the point? What are you trying to get across? And I think that there's a lot that's going on in the, in the online business world and personal development industry, where people are noticing things and it's understandable why they would feel offended. And when I see some of the things I get it, but there are also some things where I do believe that it's a little bit on the fringe or gray area that puts a client at risk, but also some things people are reaching because it's a a hot conversation right now. So one thing that i say is when people tell you you know pay attention to this when people say to you there's something i noticed in your marketing you might want to take a look at it instead of reacting defensively and saying this person doesn't know what they're talking about stop and consider that maybe they do maybe they really are coming from a good place and trying to help you out and i understand that you know listen if somebody came to me and said you need to stop doing this in your business, blah, blah, blah. My ego would come into play so fast because I'd be like, what are you talking about? This is my business. I know what I'm doing. I've worked hard. What are you doing? (laughs) But that's exactly what happens, right? Because then it's kind of like, I'm not going to listen to that person, and we dismiss them. So two things happen. One is we show our market that their voice is not important. And the second thing is we tell them, I'm above this to listen to what you're saying, and I'm going to do it my way. And I don't think that's the true intention behind it, but that's the message that gets sent. So if people can be open or even just be willing, even if a client, let's say somebody's, or not a client, but let's say somebody's listening to this podcast now and they haven't worked with me, they haven't had any issues come up with their stuff, to still take a moment to look and see, are you being compliant? Are you being sensitive? Are you being inclusive? And if that's not enough for you to think about whether or not you can do better, then check out statistics because statistics make all the difference in the world. Teams that have a diverse, a diverse working team see revenue rise by 9%. They see a reduction in turnover by 22%. Customer satisfaction goes up by 23%. These are all studies that have been done over and over and over again. So if you can't let go of the fact that somebody is giving you a hard time about something in your business, pay attention to the stats. Because you can make a lot more money by doing the right thing. Which is so cool.
0: Cause hopefully yeah. you want to do the right thing anyway,
2: but-, well, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah, but that's more money to do other things with, right? Like, if, like this is, I was talking to someone recently where we were talking about how this person wants to have a big philanthropic part of their business, but also, you know, there, there's profit that needs to be made. So what we talked about was, but if you're making more money, there's more money to give towards these causes. And that's how I look at it. That's how I've always looked at it is, that's why I got into this kind of work because my thing was, I wanted to solve, find a way to solve homelessness. And then I thought, well, if people have jobs, maybe people wouldn't have to be homeless. So my thing was, I want to figure out a way where we can create jobs for lots of people. It doesn't have to be in a traditional sense, but that's what this does. When we promote equality and diversity and inclusivity, people feel welcome, not just to be an employer, but also to be an employee, to be part of your community to see who they're, they're working with, everybody benefits from it. So why wouldn't we do it? Absolutely.
0: So now you are holding these trainings about equity and inclusion with companies at this point. So what are some of the things that you see that we can do, you know, just like, because we do have a lot of business owners who listen, obviously, what are a couple of things that we could do to sort of give our own companies a self-audit to say, okay, where am I not being inclusive? Or how could I do better? Where a couple of areas?
2: So here are a couple things. One is I would say if you're a business owner, look at, if you work with a team, look at your team and look and see, does everybody look the same? Does everybody look different? Because a lot of times when I'm working with a team, I will notice I'm usually the darkest skinned person and I'm not super dark. (laughs) So, but, but I notice it now. Does it offend me? Not necessarily, but that's not how I show up. Now, if somebody said something like, oh, I would never hire a Mexican, that would be a very <laughs> different response, right?
0: That's a different conversation.
2: <laughs> exactly. So, so that's one thing is to look, you know, look within and look at your team. The second thing is to look at your marketing materials. Look and see, what are you saying? Are you using things like the word light? And what are the images that you're using? Are you using images that could be misinterpreted or could be taken as offensive? And if you're not sure, for the love of God, set up a focus group and ask people. I mean, if you really, and people may tell you things you don't want to hear, and that's, you know, it's hard, because we're vulnerable, and we care about the work we do, but if we really care about people, and we look at it from a place of, I'm asking because I really want to do the right thing, and I want to be inclusive, and I want people to feel welcome, people are going to give you the right feedback, so that you can see where you can do better. You still ultimately get to decide what you implement and don't implement. There's no harm in asking for the feedback.
1: Could this be too forced, though? As well, like, is there? Have you seen in in your work to say, you know, if you take a company and be like, okay, for the next ten hires is all going to be, you know, black men, right? You can't do that, right? I know, but that's also
2: illegal. (laughs) It's
1: technically illegal, though, right? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) right, but it's it's. We're
2: like, we'll be right back. you the whole music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but I'm like, because yeah, this happens. Like, this goes on, I'm right? right? Yeah,
2: yeah, it does happen. And you're right. It is wrong, and it is illegal. But so this how, is really- how do you remedy that, actually?
0: Well, yeah, you, you hire not- qualified it's, well, question. Question. it's because your example was so extreme.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> so you want to hire qualified people, right? So- right. So the point is when you're posting for a new position or you're looking for a new position, open it up to lots of different people, but still choose the best qualified candidate. I remember being being younger and when affirmative action was like, you know, it was a big, big thing. And I remember thinking, well, I don't want to be hired because of the color of my skin because I'm filling a quota. I want to be hired because I'm good at what I do.
1: That's, so, I was trying to ask that question, but you're, that was way better what you said. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's why
0: she's the professional
2: <laughs> oh there are lots of things i say that are that's a very unprofessional i just like you to do them with recording them. buttons off <laughs>
0: yeah you can say them when we're out to dinner together in southern california
1: okay sorry to interrupt go ahead
2: <laughs> no i mean that's that's pretty much it is you know if you're clear about what the qualifications are what the experience is and you open it up and you say we are you know we're an inclusive company and we hire the best candidates, then you're opening it up to lots of different people, but you still hire the best qualified candidate. Now, that's also an opportunity for us to look and say, okay, is it the person of color or is it the white person, as an example, who's the most qualified? And if it's neck and neck, that's when stuff can come up. But it's also a great opportunity to look and see, okay, so what decision do I want to make? What has historically been my decision? And do I want to make a, a different choice?
0: Absolutely. Hmm. Thanks. That was a good question, Mike. I liked how you asked it because <laughs> you have to go <laughs> to extremes sometimes to prove a point. So, when it comes to trying to keep to, everybody,
1: just make sure they're paying attention.
0: Yeah. No, and I, I think that's such a great point that you just said like one of the biggest problems is having a, a team that just all looks the same. I think that's really important. Now, When it comes to having difficult conversations, because that's obviously very much connected to critical thinking and and what we're talking about and divisiveness. And let's say you have a family member who has a very different viewpoint on immigration, let's say, as an example. And you do want to, like, I struggle. I'm just going to be really transparent. I struggle because there are things that I emotionally do believe, right? It is an emotional belief. And I don't have as many facts. So I guess when you're having these conversations, especially with friends and family, people where they, you are really close to them, and especially with your family, they're going to trigger you anyway, having nothing to do with your political beliefs. <laughs> so how do you have those difficult conversations? Because I do believe it's important to be talking about real things that matter, not just like you know the latest sale at TJ Maxx or whatever, um, (laughs) within the the people that we love dearly to talk about things that matter, but it's hard. So when you disagree, it's really hard. Or when it's like you've offended me or or something like that. So let's talk about having difficult conversations and some framework for doing that.
2: Sure, so I find that when I wanna have a difficult conversation with someone, it's easier for me to get everything out on paper so that I can release all that emotion. And then that's when I go back. And like I said, I start with what is my intention is my intention to have a meaningful conversation is my intention to walk away with our relationship still intact is my intention to get a point across what is it and then I go into you know, what is it that I want to be part of these conversations or what are the topics and what are the points that I want to make, but then that's when I go in and I take out the emotion what I find though is a lot of times people don't know where to start or how to start. Because it's so uncomfortable. So what I always tell people is, if you don't know where to start, think about how you would want someone to deliver the same conversation or the same message to you. And that shifts how we start that conversation. But I'm always clear also about stating my intention in the very beginning, so that people know I'm not looking, I'm not coming in to have an argument or debate, but here's what I'm, I'm looking at what my intention is, and then I'll ask, what's your intention? What would you like to get out of this? Because it also sets the ground rules. And when people are in agreement and set the expectations up front, that's when you can have a meaningful conversation. It's when we don't share expectations or set those expectations. That's usually when relationships and conversations fall apart because someone's expectations weren't met, whether they were shared or not. So if we can get around that or by by being clear up front, then we can have a more meaningful conversation. It does not mean that it is going to be very yeah, an emotional, and it's like, oh, we just pull out sack number seven. It doesn't work that way. Really means, right. And so it can still get heated, but that's also where we have an opportunity and a responsibility to check ourselves and how we're showing up. Is this in alignment with what the original intention was? Was this part of the expectation? It's like I'm gonna be calm and respectful, but about halfway through, or sometime if you say something that pisses me off, I'm gonna go for the jugular. That's not in line with your intention if you said, I want to keep our relationship intact. So it also holds some accountability on both sides.
0: That's great. I think that is really powerful. And the the question about how would you want to be approached about this is really is really
2: important. But the one (laughs) my one caveat is if your intention is to have a conversation with someone who's not ready to have a conversation or someone who is completely emotional, I have someone in my family who has very, very strong political beliefs that are the opposite end of the spectrum of mine. I respect them as, as a family member, but we cannot have these conversations because for me, I can't have a meaningful conversation with someone who's not willing to listen because they are so, so grounded in their own beliefs. And you just have to take that into consideration. Some people will not be open, but that's where you have an opportunity to say, are you open to having a conversation? Right. And if they say no, then you get a choice. Yeah. I, you know, just that
0: feels really great to say to somebody, you know, would you be willing to have a conversation about this? Or would you be open to hearing a different perspective? Can be, maybe could that be like a way of inviting it to to test the water to see? If Absolutely.
2: I had this happen about a year ago with a friend of mine who It was right after the protests and the riots had happened in, was it North Carolina about a year ago? And a really good friend of mine said, hey, can I have a conversation with you about race? (laughs) This is fair, fair skin, friend, blonde, blonde hair. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be bad. One of two things is going to happen. We're either going to be able to have a great but a hard conversation or this is going to be the end of our friendship. And I was terrified to have the conversation because I didn't know what was going to come from it. But what ended up happening was... We were able to talk through a lot of things to hear both perspectives, but also to look at some of the factual things to support our perspectives. And because of it, it brought us so much closer together where now we can have more of those conversations and they go pretty deep and they can be pretty uncomfortable. But I also have friends who are other, you know, women, men, people of color, where we also have these hard conversations. Because even though I can identify as a woman of color, I can't identify with every color, and what every person goes through I can only go through even people in my own race I have my own experience just like they have their own experience yeah so I think if we can come from a place of are you open to having the conversation we can have a car if that person says yes but it's also up to us if it starts to go off the rails to also say you know what it's clear this isn't a good time and before things get out of hand why don't we stop now yeah. And you may or may not revisit it later. Right.
0: And to know that it's not, you know, I, I think when it comes to, let's say, a conversation around racism or homophobia or Islamophobia or all of the phobias, isms, I don't know, is it even okay to say that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> <But> <laughs> so I after okay, like, like 500 just people protest and say, oh my God, none of them know what they're talking about. Okay, I just like, because I
0: just grouped them all together. I just, I'm not, well, I'm not even sure if that's okay.
2: Well, I, you know, there are lots of different ways to explain. This is what I want to say about this, because I think it's important, is terms, phrases, things like that change all the time. It's our job to stay on top of these things, but to also recognize that there will be times when we make mistakes because things change and because we're trying to stay on top of things. And sometimes we'll make mistakes because we don't know different, but it's up to us to look and see. Like if someone said that's not appropriate, that's an opportunity to say, oh, God, thank you. I'm going to take a look at that instead of, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. Right,
0: right, right. There's behavior that was wrong. And then there's being a wrong person. That's right. Right. It's the difference between what does Brene Brown talk about? There's a difference between shame and in guilt. Yes. Guilt is the one where it was your behavior and shame is the one where it's you. Yeah. Um, but so like when it comes to those heated issues, I think for myself, probably because I'm codependent, feel like I, it's my job to change the perspectives of the people around me sometimes. And that's just, it's hard to, and then to realize like you can have a conversation, but it's not necessarily my job to change people's
2: minds. Like, you know, well, what I mean? that was the first thing I thought I was like, well, with all due, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no kidding. That's a lot of self-imposed pressure, like, hey, I'm going to change the opinions and I'm going to show people, like, this is what matters. That's but not the intention, really. <laughs> but what you can do is say, my intention is to open people up to maybe being open to seeing things another way. See how that totally shifts the, the responsibility? Your job is not to hold, you know, like, like I'm sure like people do with their kids, right? Like, put, put their <laughs> hands a bit around their cheeks and listen to me. That is not your role. That's the role of <laughs> a mom. But you can say, hey, let's have a conversation. Maybe you'll gain something from it. But that's- maybe I will too, right? Because chances are good,
0: I mean, I know for a fact there are things that I haven't thought of.
2: I think, but I think that's true for all of us, no matter what our situation is. Like, you know, like I said before, I have my own experiences that are different from other people who may have had a similar upbringing, regardless of skin, status, things like that. We all have our own experiences. It's up to us to be responsible, to be compassionate, to be respectful, and to be inclusive and all those other things. But if we're human beings, there will always be times when we can do better. We'll make a mistake. It's up to us to decide what we're going to do with that. That's what makes the difference. Not whether or not we had an image that was perceived as racist or offensive. That is a problem. I don't want to make it sound like it's not a problem. But what happens after that, that's the critical piece. That's the piece. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's how... how we it's it's the same like I feel like it's like there's when you talk to me like it just does a I'm talking to Kate now for those of you listening but like (laughs) our relationship disagreements or things that we've had to work through to communicate better right if we apply that to kind of what you're talking to Gina about right here that changes the because you don't come to me and you know it's like When you ask me, like, can I give you feedback on that? Or can I give you feedback, right? It's like, remember a long time ago, you spoke on stage and I gave you feedback right away, right when you got off stage and you were, like, too early. Like, (laughs) don't do that. Bad timing. You know, bad timing. (laughs) I always listen to, I love listening to, speakers who speak and they're like you know the best time to get feedback is right when i'm done you know it's like right when it's over that's you know comedians
2: raw yeah
1: comedians always joke about that because they're like i love it it's nothing better right but it's it's that same type of like to just give you an example in Mm -hmm. our own life like what gina's talking about it's like how you interact or how i interact with you it's the same way we're going to these tough conversations with family members or friends um, yeah. And
2: I do use this with personal conversations as well, or it's not, listen, it's not fun for anybody to have a difficult conversation, whether you're the person initiating it, or you're the person on the receiving end. And that's why I think if we can start by being clear about what the intention is, it can diffuse a lot of those nerves to be like, Oh, oh, good. You want to have a meaningful conversation too. you respect me and want to make sure our relationship is still intact at the end. That makes this feel a lot better.
1: No, it's a much different approach. If I come up to Gina and be like, you said something stupid, you know, instead of like, hey, can I give you feedback on what you just said five minutes ago? And, and you're like, oh, I yeah, sure.
2: No.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you said something stupid, right? It's, But even if I say the same thing, it's just going to it's gonna come across because you've also opened it. Like, it's the number one thing in selling, right? It's like you want to get the customer's permission to yep. actually sell to them, yep. right? And so it's the same thing when you're having these conversations to get that other person's permission, like yeah. if we're going to have those tough conversations.
0: Well, even when you said, Gina, I can't remember the words, but the preamble that you gave to having a difficult conversation and just having that intention, okay, my intention is that our relationship is preserved and we both walk away you know, feeling whole and better, right? Let's say, for example... There's an immediate, I can feel in my body, not that we're having a difficult conversation right now, but like if we were, I can feel like a softening and an opening as opposed to a guard coming up. So immediately you are creating an environment for connection as opposed to repulsion, basically.
2: Right. And the other thing is when someone says, you know, can we have this conversation? Or, you know, let's say Mike says, can I give you some feedback? It's also my responsibility where if now is not a good time, like if I'm walking off the stage and he's like, Hey, can I just jump on everything you just said? If he goes, Hey, can I have a minute to give you some feedback? It's up to me to say, yes, but not, not now. Now is not a good time, but how about tomorrow? Or how about after dinner or whatever? It's also up to us to pose the question, but also to have, you know, like I said, to have the responsibility on both sides, because it takes two people to make a relationship work, right? It does. So we have to have ownership on both sides. Absolutely. Hmm. So is
0: there anything else that you want to add before or ask before Gina tells us where we can connect with her amazing work? No.
1: I think we've covered a lot. We Unless did. there's anything else that you think we should know.
2: Yeah. No, I think this is great. I'm this really so, I could spend all day with you guys, but I'm sure not everybody else would want to spend all day with us. <laughs> I think they probably would. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you, have, you, well, have, you actually, have some fixing to do. Let me, I'll,
2: I'll,
1: yeah, I'll <laughs> ask you a question. Okay. So there's a lot of, I just say in, in the world, I'll start out with like Tracy Ellis Ross said in a TED talk she did recently,
2: mm-hmm.
1: she was talking, hey, did you see this? I did. Yeah. She did a quote where it was like, it's not, she was talking about, I forget the whole thing. I just remember this one statement, but it was about, it's not our job as her, as a, as a woman to fix bad behavior by men. It's men's job to fix bad behavior. Right. So like when I think of the time that we're in right now, it's, I'm not able to think of what it's, you know, I can through your lens or through Kate's lens, what it would be like to be a white woman, right. And to experience or just a woman in general, what her experience is. But I can understand what it's like to be Mike Watts, who grew up in Indiana, which was predominantly like a white man, what my experience has been. So in the time that we're going through now, like I feel there's like toxic masculinity as a problem. And that's something that I can help with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I know there's a lot of people that are charged up by what's going on in the news and then what we're seeing. And so it's like, I think a lot of the conversation that happens, what I'm seeing a lot is like, where do we start? Right. Because if I start to start educating myself on what it's like to be a Mexican man and a Mexican woman. And then all of a sudden like a black man and growing up in Baltimore or growing up in Seattle. And, and, and I watched the Rachel Dozer documentary that was yeah. on Netflix about the woman in Seattle and her experience. And like people were just, you know, and she's like, it was so crazy. Like to, her mindset was like this, I am a black woman, you know, and this is my experience. And it's just like what people's have perceptions are experience. It's like, I guess my question to you would be Where would you recommend that people, as they're going through this personally, right? And then their businesses, you know, from a business perspective, you said, like, look at your team, look at what you're doing, look at the images you're putting out. But I'd say even, and then from a family perspective, it's like, start those conversations. But like, personally, like, how does somebody navigate this as they're kind of all these emotions are coming up when everything's hitting, like every week, it's something new, right? Every week, there's something else that's triggering multiple people across the board.
2: Right, right. And, and you know, if you're in the news, now's a great time to be in media, right? Because there's, there's always something to report on. And an hour later, there'll be something new to report on. Yeah, And I think you raise a great, a great, great question. Because there's always something new to report on, sometimes it can be really hard to keep up with everything. And that can feel overwhelming. And then people get apathetic, because it feels so overwhelming. And then inaction takes place, right? There's an inability to take action. So my suggestion would be To look at what areas or what topics either draw you in the most, fire you up the most, that you see in your own experiences, in your own waking life, and start there. Start learning about it. You know, when I think about like a huge cause for me is the Me Too movement because I grew up with a mom who would drag me to, it's kind of funny when you hear my backstory, who would drag me to Gloria Steinem marches. I didn't even know what Gloria Steinem was. I was like this five-year-old kid with, you know, these signs with my mom. Like, I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it was important. So it's become such a big part of my life that naturally I'm very interested in it. So I stay on top of it and stay curious so that I can understand not just what's being said from a woman's point of view, but also how it's landing on men, some who have participated. And some who have just, who have been observing and some who have been in denial. Like there's all these different layers, right? So I think that if we can look at it from the point of view of, I'm going to absorb and learn what I can, but also know that there's not just one way to see it. That's what makes the difference. It's when we get so tunnel vision and a lot of it is because we are a society that has because everything is instantaneous. It's like, I have 30 seconds to figure out what my opinion is on this because I got to get to the next thing but that's also so irresponsible when we take that approach. So I would say, you know, like, make an active decision to invest in some time to do the research and find what draws you in.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I, I just, for myself, it's been also doing the work on myself. Absolutely. Right? It's been the Absolutely. most, as I'm healing the lineage of men in the Watts family, right? It's like, well, I'm not trying to fix anybody that's came before me, but like just recognizing how I ended up here and then also healing myself has allowed that to get clear. I guess I could say, cause it was like Kate and I had this conversation I said, well, as long as like it's, we can't be damaged and then trying to fix the world when we're damaged at home. You know, it's like, we got to heal this piece. Right? it's like giving birth to a human is a big deal. So it's like, you know, yes it is. she's like, well, I want to go to the border in Texas. And I'm like, well, you know, it's might not be a good, a good time. Right. It's like, it's just like to make sure because it, it, it's, yeah. So it's the more I've helped for me. It's like to recognize that opens up all of these channels that allows this learning to take place.
2: And you raised something really significant and I want to make sure that we take a, a moment to address it is is yes looking at where not just where we can do better but how we've participated that's part of the hard conversations too is taking responsibility for how we've participated in some of the things that we've said or believed. like if we're having a conversation with someone we say well you always blah 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 okay well first of all is it always and secondly how have i participated in that dynamic so the same thing if we're using the me too movement because that's what we were talking about when that started becoming more in the forefront it really, it made me super uncomfortable. I was very strong and grounded in my thoughts and opinions and my experiences, but I also had to stop and look and see, okay, were there things that I could have done differently? Were there things that I could have done better? I've always been the big mouth who was always reporting people because wrong was wrong. I wasn't running around like taking notes, but if something was wrong, I was the one who would speak up. And a lot of times companies will say, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want the lawsuit. We don't want the this. We don't want the that. And I was raised in a family where wrong is wrong and right is right. And so that's why I tend to have a big mouth when it comes to stuff like that. But also looking at where's our responsibility? Where have we contributed and how have we contributed? And then what do we do with that information? How do we make improvements? Hmm. So thank you for bringing that up.
1: Thank you for answering the question.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, such a good conversation. Thank you so much for being oh, here. and for thank your you. Way. This was, oh. this was super helpful. And thank you for asking, I mean, answering my personal questions because <laughs> you're very welcome. I would imagine other people listening have the same questions, which is why I throw myself out there like that.
2: So thank you. Where can people connect with what you're doing? They can find me at ginagomez.com. And that's where all my good info is.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you for being here with us. It's such a pleasure. And yeah. I look forward to getting to know you better.
2: Thanks. Likewise. Thanks so much for the time. Thank, thank you. you